Welcome to the Business Vitality Podcast. My name is Katherine Canty. I am the host and an executive coach. I work with teams, individuals, and leaders to help create measured leadership change. We do that using practical applications, and our clients are creating 100% measured results as seen by those around them. Not necessarily what I think or what they think, but what the other people are seeing. And they are being recognized for the hard work that they're doing. If you're interested in learning more about some of the work that we're doing, you can learn more at KatherineCanty.com. I would love for you to subscribe to this show, to Business Vitality. This is my way to continue to pay it forward and share business best practices. Stay tuned and listen to the interview. Thanks for being here. Oscar Tremboni, you are the head of coaching faculty of the Marketing Academy found on the web at themarketingacademy.org. Thank you for joining us. G'day, Catherine. Great to see you again. It is wonderful to see you. We spoke earlier this year about your book, How to Listen, and I thought this was such a nice touch. You shared this beautiful box, nice box. You open it up. It has a small version of the book for those of us who don't like to read big books. We've were, Some of us are out there. And then... You made it even more fun, and you have playing cards, and the name of the playing cards is Deep Listening. And I have to share with people that this has been fantastic. What I thought was just going to be just a great conversation with a talented man who's in Australia and I'm in America, I thought it would just be just a, you know, a normal conversation to learn. and. I have since taken this information and read the book and continue to look at the notes, reference the, the previous podcast, number 140 on business vitality, took this and worked with a group of 40 leaders who wanted a conversation on communicating. They said, we need to learn how to better communicate with our teams. I made a whole theme out of listening is communicating. And to see their minds shift has been fantastic. How often I reference your work with the speaking engagements that I have with working with teams and individuals to help create measurable leadership change has been fantastic. So I just want to say thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I have just been loving it and find ways to drip it into my life and other people's lives all the time. So thank you. Well, the difference between hearing and listening is action, and I'm grateful for the action you've taken. We're on a quest with the Deep Listening Ambassadors to create 100 million deep listeners in the world, and sounds like we're creating artifacts and tools that are simple to use and impactful when we do it, uh, whether it's in prison systems or with school principals, uh, the deep listening playing cards, they have a whimsical way they have little characters on the front and people just pause in the moment and often make that simple reflection that you can have a powerful impact in your communication bringing your presence because if you're leading any system you'll get discretionary effort from those who are in it if they feel heard seen and valued if you listen to them 
So it brings me great joy, puts lots of gas in my tank to hear that. It's, I've got a couple of, of examples. Um, one was with a group of, of um, the 40 leaders that are going into some, growing into some senior roles, senior positions, and they're, they're all, you know, learning and growing, want to accelerate and take, take on the world like we all do when we're younger. And um, what hit home for them was that we think at 900 words a minute and we speak at 125 words a minute. And that came from you. And they said, oh, well, then maybe that's why when someone finally speaks, I'm so impatient and I just want to jump to what the conclusion is. They said, I never realized that we're thinking at 900 words a minute, but we're only speaking at 125. And it just was really eye-opening for them to hear that and to be able to understand the importance of reflection time before you go and speak and meet with someone because you can really clarify your message, but nobody teaches in school the importance of reflection and maybe the, the why behind it, the 900 words versus the 125. Have you seen that in your, I mean, obviously I feel like you've seen it, but do you have an example that, that comes to mind that maybe you can share? Yeah, and many of the great traditions across the globe, religious traditions, I'm not being denomination specific. There is a reason all those religions have a time for pause and reflection. All the great musicians, orchestras and bands all pause for five minutes to tune their instrument before a performance, whether their instrument is their voice as a singer, a violin, a piano. It's a sign of wisdom it's a sign of respect it's a sign of professionalism to prepare to listen because listening for the gap that you just talked about the 14 percent of what people say the very first time the 86 percent of what's missing we hear around the globe across all industries whether they're commercial non-for-profit or public sector that simple sentence summarizes how to listen. You don't have to read the book if you understand that ratio. That ratio that the first thing somebody says is roughly 14%. I was corrected by an actuary the other day saying it was 13.8 to something percent. And I said, yes, you're right. And uh, I rounded up to 14. Uh, when you know that, you'll pause. And you will change the way the speaker communicates. The speaker will then say what they think and what they mean. And the dirty little secret, Katie, is meetings are shorter as a result because people actually to get to say what matters to them. People say what they think and what they mean. And then you don't have to come back next week, next month, next quarter in some kind of progress meeting to go, oh, that's not what I thought you said and there's less confusion if you're in commercial settings this means more profit it means you win the right kind of customers it means you keep great employees it means you hear the obstacles that are in their way and 
if you're struggling to recruit new staff in your organization because it's tough to find talent, you'll have invisible recruiters in your own employees who'll say, you should come work for us because our leader actually listens. It's really a differentiation. And the same is true for customers as well. So we, we, we see many stories of that. And in the book, we talk about an example with one of my clients who is struggling in frustration about the organisation she runs in professional services. And it's structured with basically a commercial division facing all the for-profit customers and a public sector division. And, and she's frustrated beyond doubt about the growth of the public sector group. And uh, she used phrases like, they're always difficult to deal with. They're always very expensive to sell to. And when she finished and paused, there was a big gap. And I just smiled back at her and I said, always? And she said, nothing. She paused. She took a sigh. She, her eyes looked up in the corner of the room. And she smiled back at me and she said, all right, not always. But you have to imagine someone saying that in a very proper English accent. And... I said, are you open to an experiment? And she said, sure. I said, think about the public sector customers that are not always. And she went, mm, okay, I'm not sure what you mean. I said, well, line up all your public sector customers in this room and put the ones that are growing the least over there and the ones that are growing the most over there. And she said, oh, okay. I said, what do they have in common? And, and, and she had this huge smile on her face. She said, they act like for-profit organisations. And then I just said nothing. And you could see she was processing what she just said. And she said, why... Have we got those customers in our public sector division? And it wasn't a question directed at me. It was just her musing out aloud. And she held that and she came back and she said, what do you think, Oscar? And I said, you know, what I think is interesting, but I think what matters most is what your team in the public sector thinks about this. And she smiled and she goes, yep. I need to go and listen to them, don't I? And so she she went, a year later, they reconfigured that division and that division looks very different. And the growth they're getting from that division is very different because she started to listen to herself very differently. When, when people use phrases like always, Katie, you're hearing the edge of their mental models. You're hearing the edge of their assumptions. And it's not your job to point out the assumption. It's just play back one word. If you hear always, never, exactly, precisely, these are clues to help you liberate your employees' thinking, your customers' thinking, your suppliers' thinking, the governments you work with, the regulators. So 
that that's just one example of a fun story where I was actually in the room when somebody realized there's 86% of their thinking they hadn't said out aloud. That's a wonderful story. And it 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 makes me think about that power of reflection and thinking and people say they're too busy to take the time to mm. think. And really, if we don't take that time, we're we're just never going to be able to to progress and be able to take on more and figure out how to to work towards that goal. So, you know, I struggle with it myself, taking that time to to sit and and be calm. And I know that when I'm the busiest, that's when I need to sit down and have that quiet time and that reflection. And even this morning, I said, gosh, I don't have time to meditate. But I said, this is exactly the morning I need to meditate a little bit longer. And when I do, that's when I can really set the tone of the day to be successful. Even though if I hadn't taken that time, it would have just been reactive, 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 and it's not going to, not going to work. So um, it's. And, and for those listening, if you think meditation is a bridge too far, I'll mm -hmm. give you a, a step towards that. Just play a song but do nothing while you're listening to that song for three to five minutes. This would be a great circuit breaker for you, a great way to rewire your intention, a great way to set yourself up for success. So if you think meditation is a, a step too far for you, play a song. Three minutes or, or more, but three minutes would be the minimum and you'll be surprised how you turn up in a conversation with some music to rewire your mindset. I think that's fantastic. And, you know, it took me a while to get into meditation in the first place. So I can relate to maybe I just have 15 seconds of quiet in the car and just be with myself before I get out for a meeting. And even that can just help reset things. I was speaking with um, someone earlier today and I thought this might be a great question for Oscar. And the question is, what advice do we have for leaders who are going from maybe an independent contributor role to managing a team? And we notice that we promote people to manage lots of people, but we don't give them training necessarily. We give them a promotion, we give them a raise, we give them a bigger office, we give them more equipment, more responsibilities. There's no real training. And so the opportunity is what training or what words of advice would we have for them? And I immediately think of you and listening and the power that they can really have to build a great team. But I would love to hear from you for those people that are transitioning into that C-suite or even managing groups for the first time teams. What are your thoughts on how to, how to hit the ground running and how to succeed? Congratulations, you've been promoted. You need to make a decision now that you've changed profession. Mm 
you may have been an engineer who's been promoted to group engineer. You may be an accountant that's been promoted to manager of finance. You are no longer your professional background. You have now changed profession. You've changed profession into management and leadership. This means you have to change the way you think about yourself from a skilled expert to a potent leader. Your role has changed from being the best to getting the best from others. Your role has changed from being the best to helping this team perform at an even higher level. You have changed profession. Until you make that decision, everything else I'm going to say is a complete waste of time. Katie, I don't know about you, but I see people going in to conversations where they've been promoted and a staff member brings to them a problem and they are so quick to go back to their old identity. Let me show you how this is solved. They get up on a whiteboard, they go into the computer code, they sit down and draft an email for them. And that's a signal that you haven't changed profession. That's no longer your role. It's no longer what you're getting paid to do. So Katie, I'm sure you see versions of this yourself. I do. I, I work with, with some talented, amazing people who have done a fantastic job of where they are and, and want to just take it one and 2% better. And they're high performers and they get results. Mm. And now we're having to shift from doing to leading and knowing that 80% of what somebody else can do gives you 100% of what of your time to be able to, to strategize and, and to make, you know, to lead the team. And it's easy for us to get back into the old ways because that's how we were rewarded. That's how we were recognized. And, you know, as Marshall Goldsmith, he wrote a book about what got you here won't get you there. And so we really, it's such a simple idea, but it's just not easy to let go of what allowed us to succeed in the past. And one gentleman I'm working with right now, he's fantastic. And the feedback came back that they wanted him to leave his phone in the office when he comes into meetings and leave the computer in the office, but just to come into the meeting and just be present and just listen to what the needs are. And of course, be there earlier, be there, you know, two minutes early, just to, to be respectful of the team. And a couple months come by and he comes back to me and he says, I just feel weird, weird Katie. This is bizarre. I, I show up, I walk around, I listen to people. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing the work. He says, I really feel like I'm doing less, but we're able to get more done. He said, it just feels really, really weird to do mm -hmm. that. But the feedback that's coming in from his people around him 
has been supporting his new behavior, which is, I feel that you're present. Our meetings are shorter. I'm able to come in and get what I need done. And this is fantastic. You spend 15 minutes with me without looking at the phone, the computer and everything else, the distractions. And we just, we get it done. And so like we see the success there and I'm like, oh, I love it. How do we get that into more, more, how do we, how do we grow that? How do we expand it? A lot of people ask me, you know, how do, how do I do listening? What are the steps? Yeah. You know, we love a tactical the, list. Yeah. So give me, give me the ingredients, show me the recipe, what goes on the menu and I kind of go, yes, and, and we do, we do need to be able to prepare like they do in a restaurant. In a restaurant, they have a concept of mise en place, which is a French word for preparation. And again, back to the orchestra analogy, you need to prepare to listen. You, you can't do that. You'll build a, a house on a false foundation if you try and do the listening. You have to adopt a mindset that by being listening rather than doing listening, you change the system as your client just so beautifully role modeled. Meetings become shorter. People say what they mean. They get to the important things that they want to discuss. Yet we do crave the ingredients and the recipes. So I just want to give a couple of simple steps for leaders to consider to bring a listening being to a meeting rather than a listening doing. You know, I need to listen because I need to figure out what the to-do is and go in action and off we go. Yes, and I want to talk about the regular team meeting as an example. Uh, I was working with a, a, a leader in London about eight weeks ago. Um, my team doesn't turn up on time. Uh, my meetings are boring and predictable. Uh, the agenda's the same every week. Um, what do I do? Uh, I said, look, I'm not qualified to answer that and be arrogant of me to offer you suggestions. What have you already tried? And he said, well, I haven't. I just copied what my manager did. I went, that's okay. Um, if your meeting was a color today, what color would it be? And they said, oh, dark, beigey, brown, it's just, uh. I said, what color would you like it to be? He said, oh, maybe a bright green, a bright color green. I was like, okay. Go and ask each one of your team members in your one-on-one, -on -one, not in the group meeting, the same question about color. What color's the meeting? And they all came back with a version of black to red or gray to azure which is a bright blue that blue you see in the sky and it comes back 
next month. And he says, well, what do I do with this? It's like, I got colors. I said, okay, you've got colors. But in listening, you've already set up a process that goes and signals to the group, hey, the meeting is probably the wrong color. I said, go back now and ask them each, what's one thing that needs to change in the team meeting? So he, he goes through this process again, one-on-one. -on -one. Now, for some of you listening, you go, wow, this is slow. This is 60 days in and we're, we're talking about this thing. But the leader needs time to process it and so does the team. Sometimes we rush change and we jump ahead way too fast and we don't create change in a way that the system can consume it. So wonderful suggestions. Hey, boss, why are you chairing the meeting? Hmm, good question. Hey, boss, um, let's collectively reset the agenda because we've had the same agenda from the previous boss. Give us a chance to set the agenda ourselves. Hmm, good suggestion. Boss, why is the meeting an hour? We could do it in half an hour. Really? We could do it in half an hour? We've been wasting an hour? We think so, boss. So they come together. They agree that one person is the chair. That's not the boss. And one person is the co-chair. This is an interesting role. The co-chair is the person who will do the meeting next. So they agree to do meetings. One, two, three, hand over to the next person. One, two, three hand over to the next person, not one, 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 and keep rotating because they felt that created randomness. There wasn't a sense of continuity in learning. So I check in and he's like, much the reflection your client made, it's like, I don't do anything at these meetings. They do it themselves. And I said, and how did you discover that? He goes, well, I didn't come up with it, did I? I just listened to them. I said, oh, okay. I said, where else does this play out with your peers and with your manager? And then he went, oh, so it's not just with my team. And as a result of this, uh, he talks about being able to go home and spend time with his family. Mm -hmm. He talks about getting weekends back. He talks about having the mindset and the mind space to work on the important things, not the transactional things. Mm -hmm. And his time horizons have moved from days and weeks <clears throat> to weeks and months. He, his hope is it's going to be quarters, but we'll take little steps at a time. That's very transformational. And good things that that are creating change are slow over time just like you talked about you know it felt like it was a little bit longer than he wanted in the beginning but 60 days is going to come and go whether we want it to or not but it's in creating that intentional small practice in there he's tested it he experimented it like you said hmm. and he was able to get so much information and to be able to validate and empower people on the team to be able to, to take on more responsibility, which they probably are, are interested in learning how to do that. And what a great example to be able to, to share. I'm, I'm curious, there's in the book, you write about different levels of listening. Hmm. 
You said there's five levels of listening. Do you mind talking about that? Because I feel like it, it really just goes a little bit deeper than, than what we're thinking. And, and I would love for you just to discuss the five levels of listening as you write about it. Uh, for, for each of the five levels of listening, if you want, there's a, a deep dive, <clears throat> minimum 90 minutes, some two and a half hour podcast episodes that go really deep. So we're just going to touch the surface today. Let me summarize the five levels of listening. Level one is listening to yourself. This is the foundation. Level two is listening to the content. What you hear, what you see, and what you sense. At level one and level two, you are listening to things. When we move up for level three, level four, and level five, you are listening for things. At level three, you're listening for context. You're listening for backstory. You're listening for the language patterns we talked about earlier on. You're listening carefully for adjectives, absolutes, pronouns, time orientation. Are they stuck in the past? Or are they stuck in the future? Are they big picture? Are they detail? At level four, we're listening for their unsaid. Now, this plays out as an individual dialogue, but it also plays out in team dialogue. A very simple heuristic for you, if you lead a team and you're in a team meeting, keep a running tally of who hasn't spoken because too many of us have an orientation to listen to who has spoken and your role as the leader is to draw that out like a magnet. And then finally, level five is listening for their meaning, what it means for them. So you could listen to somebody say three is half of eight. And if you're listening for what they said, you would go, you're wrong. You just misspoke. Three is not half of eight. Four is half of eight. But you've listened to what they said, not what they meant. Their meaning was they were talking in geometry, not in math. If you actually fold eight in half on its vertical axis, there are two threes facing each other. Three is half of eight. Equally, if you turn the eight on its side and bisected the eight in the middle, zero is half of eight as well. When you just listen to what people say, you are listening with an orientation that says four is half of eight. And in every system in which people operate in, there isn't one exclusive perfect answer to every question. There is a range. There is three, there is zero, there is four, and all are equally useful inputs into the answer. Yet when you're just listening to what they say and not what they mean, you'll never be able to understand a more cost-effective solution, a faster solution, a left-field solution. So those four, uh, those five levels again, level one, listening to yourself. Level two, listening to the content. 
level three, listening for the context, level four, listening for their unsaid, and then level five, listening for their meaning. <clears throat> now, a lot of people get excited and focus on level four because that's the real leverage move when it comes to listening. Our database of 27,000 workplace listeners where we've been collecting what gets in the way of people's listening. 92% of people who've taken that survey are stuck between level one and level two. That's where their listening is at. So for all of us, just doing the basics will make a big difference. In sport, there's a concept called the broader the base, the higher the apex, which basically means the more participants you can get in a sport, the more likely you are to find an Olympic level athlete. And the same is true when it comes to listening. The broader the foundation you can create at level one, listening to yourself, the faster you can scale to the heights of level five. You can wing it, you can guess it, and you can occasionally get inconsistently good experiences with listening at levels three, four, and five. Yet, if you want to have foundational impact, systemic impact, if you want to be listening rather than do listening, the biggest work is on yourself. It's not necessarily listening to what the speaker says. And important practices like preparing are crucial for that. Do you have a favorite level, Katie? I love listening to what is not being said. Mm. And I like to kind of pick at it and explore it and see where it goes and, and see how comfortable they are with sharing. And Do you have um, a go-to question for that? I don't have a go-to question. It's, it's more of me in the room or listening. And when I listen, if it's... I feel like I listen even better when I'm not on camera and I'm, I'm just on the phone with my earbuds in and I may be, you know, staring out the window, but just really listening to what it is that they're saying, the word choice, the tone, the delivery, the pause. Now, there are some occasions where I, I do need to be on the video because it, it's too monotone, but I would say the bulk of it is when I'm just truly unplugged from everything, sitting in my office, really just listening and and hearing what's what's being said and then trying to figure out, you know, how far can I ask? You know, how far are they going to be comfortable? Mm. Uh, and what you've just highlighted is a consciousness that not many listeners have. Uh, we have a primary listening orientation that is either auditory first and visual second, or visual first, auditory second. And an example that you just used, uh, I'm, I'm comfortable audio only, I'm comfortable listening with my eyes closed, I can hear greater vocal variety when I don't have the visual distraction. Mm -hmm. And the opposite, people who are visual first and auditory second in their listening will say things like, I really miss face-to-face -face meetings because I'm not getting all the cues from video conferencing. I need to be face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball with someone to focus myself when I listen to them. They place great deal of importance on the nonverbals as much as the verbals. 
they also value visual cues in terms of this is the agenda for the meeting and it's shown rather than said because mm -hmm. the way they process is visual first or auditory second. You can use that heuristic. You can use that little test. Is simply if you're on a video conference and you're a participant in a group conversation and it's appropriate, close your eyes for a period of the conversation. Either it will be a very relaxing place for you and your listening is wow, or you'll, you'll go, oh, this is confusing. This is hard. This is difficult. What you've just learned, your primary visual first, auditory second. If your eyes are closed and it's easy to do, your primary auditory first, visual second. Now, as important as to know that for you, the reason you want to know that for yourself is once you know it for yourself, you know what's productive for you, but you equally have to know what's productive for the other person as well. That's why some of your best friends, you can be walking and talking on the phone and you're both audio only and it works. And yet I have other friends that's like, I, Oscar, I need to see you. <laughs> it's like, let's go have a coffee. Oscar, can you hop onto a Zoom? And uh, it's like, always, no problem. So the skill of the leader is to adjust their listening orientation to be productive for both in the conversation, not just you. I agree completely. I think we need to tailor because we don't know who the, the recipient is of the conversation. And in the beginning, we may need to experiment with both a, a, a video talk and see how that goes. And then I, over time, I begin to see how people transition and what their comfort level is. Um, and sometimes it, sometimes we need to stick with the video because the clues are not coming through the audio. And so as we expose ourselves to more and more people and get to have these conversations, we get to continue to grow or I get to continue to grow and find effective ways to communicate or try to. And listening is, is very different. And then at that point, I'm listening with my eyes and um, I can pick up on all those nonverbal clues. I love it when we, you know, have to go into negotiations and you see the nonverbals that are happening. It is so, for me, I'm like, oh, it's so fun. <laughs> but, you know, it's not always fun. But it's communicating whether we're speaking or not. Yeah. And uh, yesterday I was interviewing uh, a former police investigator and he was talking about the importance of rapport and I asked about rapport and video. How, how do you create rapport in video? And he says, oh, well, that's really simple, Oscar. He says, look at your background. You're giving me so many rapport clues in your background. Uh, so be careful if you're a leader who shows up with a blurred background or a corporate background because we're getting a really one-dimensional perspective of you. Why are you showing up with your own background visible? Because you're a leader and you're role modeling to others that it's okay to be your complete self on video. Now, there may be corporate standards that you need to adhere to and you have followed the compliance training. Um, that's up to you. Uh, if you operate in the systems, um, let that be your choice. Uh, but, you know, uh, Katie, what's one thing that's 
kind of sticking out in my nonverbal signals in my background that you kind of connect with that straight away you go, oh, if I I could have a conversation with Oscar about that. Yeah, I think the very first time we chatted, I talked about your background. I think it's just a nice, easy way to start a conversation. I see your books in the background. I see lots of candles that are lit, um, different mementos. I mean, I think I could just say, hey, what's on the middle shelf? And we could have a 30-minute conversation about it because I imagine there's a story much like, you know, the the artwork behind me. I have stories about all of that stuff. And it's a way to share who we are without saying who we are. And yet it speaks so loudly about what matters to us. It signals meaning. This means a lot to me. My grandkids, my Lego that they built for me, Katie Stained Glass Church, the galaxy. There are, there are stories behind each of those. And if we show up as full adult humans in a conversation, we're going to let people see that and see a part of us that will help to go, hey, we're full of flaws. We, we make mistakes too. Uh, we have joy in our life and this is what brings us joy. And I think just, again, just experimenting and showing a little bit more of that makes you a charismatic leader without being evangelistic about it. Meaning you can create a magnetic connection with somebody just by sharing a little bit more about who you are beyond the conversation that's about the task. I think I agree completely with your with the humility that, that we can show and, and be able to share ideas and a little bit of who we are. Um, Oscar, if people want to follow your work, get to reach out to you, um, learn more with what you're doing, what is the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, as much as I'd love you to get in touch with me, I'd rather you got in touch with your listening. If you visit listeningquiz.com, you can take a, a little seven-minute assessment. You'll get a report that tells you primary and secondary listening barriers, and the report will give you tailored tips specifically to your primary listening barriers. You can join over 27,000 other people globally who've learned a little bit more about their listening then if you want to get in touch with me for other resources, the report has got all the coordinates for that. Listeningquiz.com should be the place you look to improve your listening. Listeningquiz.com. I have been out there myself. You do a wonderful job of sending the emails to educate us a little bit at a time and not overwhelm us so we can take it in and begin to implement. I love the fact that we had a conversation not too long ago on episode 140 of Business Vitality, and here we are recording um, another session to continue the, the conversation, continue the for, to teach me how to listen uh, better. And uh, Oscar Tremboni, you are the author of How to Listen, and um, I can't can't tell you how much I appreciate you just continuing to share to pay it forward. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you like it, please subscribe, share this episode or this show with other people around you. The greatest form of a compliment is a referral. I really appreciate them. 
And if you think that you want to learn more about some of the work we're doing, I encourage you to reach out to KatherineCanty.com. You can schedule a call or just continue to read articles and information that we post out there. Thank you so much for being here.